listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel. When it comes to having a career in product design, how do you set yourself apart? Set yourself apart from whom? From Every, what? Everyone. From everyone. All the things. Every other product designer no. ever. So this is a question that comes up often. I think people... Uh, when they're looking for a job, especially when they're just starting out in their career, you know, you look at the landscape and it's like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity. There's also a ton of people looking for these jobs. And so there's a lot of competition. And I think, Ooh, okay. I think the way that a lot of um, people look at out in the world, they say, well, how do I stand apart? How do I make sure that I can get this job? How do I ensure that I'm memorable? Yeah, I'm recognizable. I'm known. I stand out in the crowd. Okay. It's so it's a, it's a pretty lofty question. And you know, I haven't really thought too much about this until we sat down right now to record this. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to kind of see per what use. we. <laughs> I'm excited to kind of see what we come up with. Yeah. So, I mean, for you, what what does your gut kind of tell you when I when I pose this question to you? If someone comes to you and says, "How do I stand apart?" What is your first response to that? I think I I immediately want to break that down into two things. I want to say, "How do you set yourself apart as an individual?" as a person, as a designer, as a creative, whatever that uh, thing is that you identify with. And then how does your work stand out? Yeah, that's a good And maybe not, not, you know, set apart, but how does your work stand out? And then so one of that is more around, you know, maybe skills or expertise um, or the industry you're in. Like how do you almost specialize in a way and not to say to disregard in this case, not to say to disregard all the other things that you could do or could be. But how do you um, have a, a special profile of who you are? And then the other one is how does your work um, maybe deviate from sort of the common things that you see? And I know that this one's going to be that part of it's going to be a little bit trickier because then there's a question of like, actually for both of these, there's a question of like, is deviation a good thing? Mm. This is really tricky when you start diving into it because often a few things will happen. The first thing that that I think happens is designers will conflate creativity and expression and uh, kind of uniqueness in their work, thinking that that is how like that is the best way to to like come across as unique. Um, But they do so often at the cost of like usability and design aesthetic and convention. So you're talking specifically about the work piece here, the second piece. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but my, my perception is that it comes across as maybe the easier way to stand across, stand out from the competition. When you're applying to a job, you know, you look at all these resumes and it's like, okay, this is a good pattern. This is a good visual. This designer knows their stuff. And then out of the blue comes this person with like really nice gradients and curves to their design and looks beautiful. And like their prototype is like really wacky. And like, look at this really fun animation they did. Right. So I think that is like a go-to for many junior designers. Or like, uh, we've talked about this in the past offline, but, um, the sort of like crazy portfolio thing. Do I need to design and build my portfolio some from scratch as opposed to using a website builder, which is totally fine if you do it either way. But then do I need to have like a completely new pattern of, um, interaction and navigation and, you know, do I need to stand out because my work is so different from everybody else's almost a, to sometimes a flaw where you see that things are, it's not easy for a recruiter to, or a hiring manager to scan things. Um, yeah, I think that's a good example. And so let's let's focus really on this this um, 
this category for this first part of the conversation. So by that, I mean, again, come back to the people piece. Exactly. So talking about the work and how we creatively express ourselves to stand apart in our work. And so, I mean, you already touched on a little bit of this a second ago, where whether we're talking about the work itself or a portfolio, what we typically see is designers say like, I need to make sure this is really expressive. It's really rich. My portfolio specifically. Uh, It's got like some, maybe some nice animations. It's got like, a nice bio about myself and my my world and my friends and my side hobbies and it's like trying to stand apart in those kind of ways and you know some of that is good and some of that's bad and we can dive into that but more often than not what i see in those kind of cases is it's just it's annoying you're putting stuff in the way of you know the recruiter or the hiring manager they come to your portfolio to see your work and yes to get a taste for who you are but they often like end up having to wait 30 seconds for your animation to load or they have to skim through all of this like bio stuff and unrelated work in order to get to your actual work. And so it's like, you know, you, you need to find a nice balance of these things. I think there's like a question behind the question, which is where does creativity belong in product design? Do you (laughs) have thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I wrote an article about this recently. Um, I, I'm pretty notorious for my thoughts on this and Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people agree and I think that's okay. Um, when I think about product design and the role that any of our apps or our websites or even our portfolios serve, first and foremost, my goal in any of those things is to accomplish that goal. You know, my, my goal is never to like, wow, and really blow away. Yeah, you can add those things on, you can sprinkle those things on, but I think that's exactly how you should treat it, is you should say, look, I have a portfolio of work, for example. I need to just get all the pieces of my work into that portfolio. I need to make sure that they're concise, they're skimmable. If people want more information, they should have a means of doing that. If they want to learn about me as a person, I'm going to have that on the place, but I'm going to have it as a secondary kind of page, right? Get it out of the way. And once I have that foundation, then I can start looking and saying, well, how might I add a little flavor to this? How can I maybe add a little creative pizzazz and like demonstrate my abilities and my skills and my perspective onto this portfolio? So for example, in my own personal portfolio, if you look at it today, it's very plain. It's a grid of images. And yet I also have some fun little things in there that if you kind of like poke around, you'll start noticing things like at the bottom of my website, when we used to have copyright notices, I just have a peace sign, like a peace emoji, like mm-hmm. calm down. I'm not super, you know, I'm not super professional. <laughs> copy all my fun work. Too. No, don't copy my and work. And then there's also like, uh, my name on my website randomly pulls from, um, unsplash.com. It pulls random photos as the background. So like whenever you come to my website, it's gonna have a little bit of a different taste to it. Right. I guess when I think about creativity in product design, like product design, it's a, um, it's a problem solving role. Um, and you end up solving different problems, whether defining what the problems are that we solve with our products or how we solve interaction problems or how we solve visual design problems. And it doesn't seem to be a place where the goal is ever to just be expressive. It's not, uh, you know, it's not an artistic role in the same way that, you know, being a brand designer might be. Um, and not to say that brand designers aren't solving problems, they're solving different kinds of problems. Um, but when I look through that, I look I look at there needing to be reasons behind expressions and rationale behind expressions um, and those serving a purpose. So when we look at somebody who's applying for a role and their expressiveness is more about them than it is about the work or it create some sort of obstacle or block for me from from me or a recruiter or a screener getting to the work that actually isn't solving the problem of you know showing me what you can do and how relevant you might be towards the role um 
And I think there's some, there's some interesting expressions that can happen. Like, you know, definitely when I look at some, you know, when I'm looking at within the requirements of a visual or a product designer, that visual design might be something that I'm looking for. And so there might be moments of delight or creativity in how there's executional components within their website, but it's, it's never really, for me, it's never really been a good thing when someone is completely, um, thinking they're innovative or, you know, being expressive or an completely independent individual, um, on a website, because it tends to mean that they're actually not, um, I guess conforming isn't the right word, but not using the useful patterns and, um, known behaviors and known ways of, of executing that already exist, leveraging, not conforming. Yeah. I like the way you put that. And I think you're completely right. Like Everything has its trade-offs, right? And when it comes to product design or really any design, everything has to have an intentionality behind it. Right. Without that, it's it's not really design. And this is what I wrote in my article. It, without intentionality, it's just a form of expression. It's more closely akin to art. It's artwork, right? Yeah, and that's like a slippery slope because artwork do, does have definitely has intentionality behind it, but the the differences there. I think there's a lot more freedom of expression when you look at most careers in art. Exactly. And so like an example I can think of pretty readily is when I'm looking at someone's portfolio and they say, look at this really creative like animation I made. And usually mm-hmm. we see this um, really, actually there's many contexts for this. Animation is a key one that I think of because animation on itself is, can be very, very helpful and informative in a design, right? When you look at your, your phone and you use an app and you navigate across these screens, those animation transitions actually mean something. They're not just like arbitrary, let's move left to right, let's have a sheet pop up, right? Like they communicate subtle things to the user, like you're moving forward in the flow or you're mm-hmm. going backward in the flow or the screen that you're about to look at is an interstitial screen, it's temporary. Your, your data behind it is still accessible, right? And yet we see designers who are like, okay, I'm going to have this nice swirl animation. Like things are going to come in out of the view and then pop away and then fade. And like two things I evaluate when I look at that, those kind of things. The first is, does this animation actually communicate something in, in, like important to right. the user? And then the second thing is, okay, waiting for this animation just to take place, how how much time has have I as a user now had to wait just to do the thing I came to do? Right. This is like, I'm, I'm thinking about... Um and we've all done bad PowerPoint or keynote presentations where we add all the animations just for the sake of animations, because sometimes having a page go up in flames is just fun. But then when I think about, you know, when you're using animations in a portfolio context, what I'd rather see than seeing animations everywhere is seeing a study on animations. Like if you're really interested in animations, you know, maybe there's a, a little write up on, Hey, here's how I decided within this project to, you know, look at, you know, horizontal scrolls or, you know, sort of little tugs at, um, at lines within a card list that uncover actions and see how you explore those rather than just sort of doing them for the sake of doing them. And it kind of goes back to this whole, like the dribble, the dribbleization of design sort of thing where, um, you know, people go to dribble and they just experiment some of the light fluffy stuff because it's fun. And there's a lot of really great practice to that. But if you're, if you're doing that within the context of, Hey, I'm going to show you, um, who I am and what I can do. It's not typically as useful as, you know, 
snapping a little bit closer to standard. I'm really glad you gave that example, actually. So first of all, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Dribble is, it's dribble.com, Dribble with three Bs. And it's just a place where designers of any variety can go and just post work and share work and kind of get inspiration or look through other things. Yeah, and they um, call them shots. Yeah, you're, so a you Dribble can, like, shot. Yeah, you dribble, you dribble and then you shoot. Um, but I like that you give us as an example because this is actually something I try to tell or instruct other designers to often do when they think about either, you know, they don't have a lot of portfolio work or they're trying to, again, express themselves more creatively mm-hmm. through their work. I say, you know, if you're really passionate about doing like this nice animation or you're really passionate about like exploring these new trends and like pushing some boundaries, that's totally okay. But you cannot do that for the sake of just having this flashy piece. So instead I tell them to do exactly what you just identified, which is go sit down and come up with something that you really want to explore scrolling patterns mm-hmm. uh, navigate navigation patterns progress bars even buttons like anything anything like that and dive really deep into it let's see a lot of explorations let's hear your rationale and see kind of like how you think about it because that does a few things one is it gives you portfolio piece mm-hmm. albeit very small uh, but then it also shows like okay you're a designer who can intentionally pull apart different pieces of a design and talk about and rationalize what makes sense, what doesn't in what context and kind of like shows also some creativity. Yeah. And two things I would say, this is in the context of product design. If you're just a visual designer, I see a lot more value in the practice of understanding little pieces because you're getting really nitty gritty into things like colors and corner radius and illustration style um, and color palettes and great, like just the, the really nuanced details of, of visual design. I also think it's like, uh, you know, a lot of folks who post stuff on Dribble, they just love doing this kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's the second piece is like, that's, that's a great way to be expressive or to explore. I think, but putting that back in the context of what we're doing, um, uh, it's not, or what we're talking about. It's not really about like, that's not what's going to help you get a job. Like if there, if there's no substance behind the shot, or the little piece of thing that you're the little piece of animation or the little piece of um, UI that you're working on, that's not enough within the context of product design. And we've sort of grounded this specifically in, in interviews or portfolios or things like that. I want to say that I've heard people argue against that point. So a lot of people will say, um, you know, how many people have you seen who do these like really elaborate ornate redesigns of like gmail or paypal or spotify or something and they get so much press attention <laughs> the spotify ones going around the internet again <laughs> yes people i don't know facebook whatever people yeah. love redesigns and you know you these articles or these case studies get a ton of traffic tons of traffic mm-hmm. lots of upvotes they're shared in many slack channels facebook groups twitter dribble and so the outside perspective is like, wow, this person must get tons of job offers. Look how great their skills are. But then people like you and I, Jasmine, we go and look at these art, these pieces of work and we're like, okay, this, you know, this looks pretty good. Oh, but like this pattern doesn't make sense. Like I've, I've lost myself in the experience or, oh, this trade-off doesn't actually make a lot Where of sense. Where the business context is missing. And I like, I will say it, there, there's no one stopping you from doing that if that's what you want to do. And many folks have learned a lot about patterns and interactions and visual design by doing these unsolicited redesigns, I would just say like that shouldn't be one of your primary case studies at all. There's one person who wrote a blog post on Medium once about how he redesigned a part of Apple and that got him the job at Apple, but that's one out of like thousands. Um, So it's not really a, it's not really a tried and true method to get you a role. It's a tried and true method to help you learn. And so I would say like, do them if that's helpful for you. I think there's other ways to learn about 
product design in a more um, comprehensive context. But I, you know, in, in the context of how do you stand out, that really isn't one of the great ways that I've seen that help you stand out. Yeah. So you already kind of teased out a few of these of these answers to how to stand out earlier. And what those were um, that I'd like to dive into a little bit further now were things like look at the problems you're solving. That's one great way to stand yeah, out. Yeah. And I think, I think the just real quick, as we go into these things, I think the thing that we're sort of landing on is like being expressive and like having your own like personal style or focusing too much on the visuals if that's not the best way to stand out, then what is? And so you were, you were just saying like focusing on problems. What were some of the other things you were going to mention? Yeah. So again, uh, looking at unique problem spaces, that's a really great way to stand out. Just looking at spaces that other designers are not like really excited What's about. What's an exploring. example of that? I mean, we can come up with tons of these. I think just look around the world at you. So things like our, our trash pickup system and like our local utility companies, their websites are so bad. Like go do a case study around that because no one's really diving too much into that stuff, right? Mm. Government is a huge topic. I know some f- fantastic designers who work in government. Like these are just kind of spaces. So like more underserved spaces. So that's one way. Uh, I think another way that you mentioned earlier was kind of like look at your expertise or your specialty. So mm. a lot of the, the most renowned or sorry, the, the best known designers that I am familiar with they're experts in one very specific kind of thing, right? And they're able to apply that approach or that their perspective of that to many different things. So we usually see this in the context of like someone is really exceptional at building chat applications mm. and like they know all the ins and outs and they can apply that to different models. Uh, other designers are like experts in, in animation, right? And so they can take that, that animation perspective and really apply it to many different things. Or uh, a lot of the designers I work with who are really specialists are working in 3D spaces. And a lot of designers don't really, a lot of designers don't know 3D, right? And so these are, so again, spaces are, are one way you can stand out. Looking at like features or skill sets is another way you can stand out. And I think these are just like two small examples. There's many other ways you can do this as well, I think. Um, what stands out for you? I mean, I think that's sort of crossing back into the, um, you know, do you stand out as a person? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. Or do you stand out with your skills? Right. And so, yeah, is there, is there something that you're really great in within your skills? Are you the best animator and you can go through and show like a wide variety of how you understand not only like what different kind of animation patterns you can use, but what are, what are the ways that you can actually execute that and maybe even build that? Um, I think like also along those lines, things like coding writing like supplementary skills can also help you stand apart sure uh comprehension of data would be another one. Oh, that's a huge one that's a huge one i keep talking to my team about you know growing business skills is just such an incredible way to stand out as a designer because you know as the history of design has progressed we've been so great at understanding process and understanding things like facilitation of process but to take that move that further to and add on to that being a subject matter expert in something and that could be a skill or it could be um, something industry related I think that's that's really really powerful um, I was also thinking there's you know as I was saying facilitation maybe there's like communication skills or collaboration skills like have you have you worked amongst teams to drive impact like are there do you speak like that's another I wouldn't say like any kind of speaking is great speaking. Um, most, I mean, it's, but it's a, it's a communication skill. Um, I feel like really when you look back at any of the 
skills required to be a, a successful digital product designer. And we did an episode about mm-hmm. this. Any of those skills, you could really just double down on and become you know, exceptional at one of those skills and that will help yeah. you stand apart. Yeah. And things like, um, systems design, and I'm not talking about design systems, but like, are you able to understand and work through, you know, very complex things and make them understand or make them very simply understandable? Um, or are you able to like really understand service design, um, when things are outside of, of, the digital product space, you know, and the garbage example you gave was a great, like garbage pickup. And then the whole, you know, there are digital interface that's associated with that, um, government PG&E, like those are all great examples of that. I'm laughing now. Cause like, um, PG&E, you know, right now, because of the, the heat and the wind there, you know, alerted, you know, numbers are anywhere of 600,000 or more people that they might be without power. And then their site fell apart. Like, is there a, is there an easier digital infrastructure that would support the needed, the necessary in-person infrastructure? Anyways, there's lots of different things you can get into, um, as far as skills go. And I want to say here that again, going back to some of our earlier points, I don't think it's really, it's not super required that your work stands apart, right? Like the problems you're solving can stand apart. Your work can be on par with everybody else's work. Um, your ability to communicate that work, that can be a great skill. That or here's apart. something that actually makes you stand apart, but that isn't actually like an excess of one thing. What if you're just really good at everything? Like what if you're just reliable? Um, what if you can take any kind of problem and can take that on and your portfolio sh- shows such a diversity of maybe consumer facing and business facing and, you know, quick projects and seven month projects. There's something there too, where, you know, it doesn't have to be wild and crazy and that you have a specialty. It must, it might just be that you're adaptable. Like that is something that not everybody has. And so I think that the, the takeaway, one of the takeaways that I'm sort of coming to here is that it's not that you have to specialize. It's not that you have to craft something or make something fancy. It's like, what do you already have that you can lean into and make that your specialty? Absolutely. As we transition into the second part of this conversation, Mm -hmm. I want to kind of uh, add an exclamation mark to what you just said. You know, if you're, if you're just starting out, especially you don't have to worry about how to stand apart. Like instead just kind of worry about doing what you do best and enjoying the work and learning and growing and, your unique identity yeah. will start coming out organically. Yeah. And I'll give a personal example. Um, when I was in grad school, so I had an undergrad in graphic design and I was top of my class, um, got a bunch of awards, um, was, you know, had great opportunities that I could have taken that I didn't different story. Um, but was known as like one of the top five in like a class of like, I think it was like 60 or something like that. And I was good. And then I came out, um, did another job for a while and then did um, my grad school. And I sort of found myself in the middle. Um, and I was really frustrated with that because I had been the top of my class before. And there was a lot of things that were preventing me from being at the top. Um, and one was just, I frankly did, I was working full time, so I didn't have enough time to spend the, you know, 40 hours a week on my schoolwork. I was trying to do the bare minimum and still like be great at it. Um, and it was really frustrating to see the folks who were, you know, getting, getting a really great reputation and well-known because they had the greatest output, but you know, they didn't have to pay for their school. Their parents were paying for their school. And so that's all they were doing was school. Um, 
And so the thing that I realized was that like I was fighting against them where the, the deck was kind of stacked against me to try and, and have the same kind of skills. I was trying to develop the, and this was graphic design. So it was like more of the creative thinking and, um, more of the high quality typography skills, um, and getting into extra things like illustration and photography that I just simply didn't have time to perfect as a craft. And the thing that I started to realize was that my skills were, I didn't have to compete with those skills. Like I had good enough skills in those levels. It wouldn't make me stand out, but it was good enough. The things that I did have were I was a second, this was my second career. So I had management experience already. I knew how to manage my time. I knew how to manage people. Um, I had been a leader um, at a company before, so I knew how to um, basically motivate a team and, you know, rally people around a certain idea. Um, and those things actually really stood out where, and these weren't like hardcore design skills. They were like soft skills. Um, and those really stood out as some of my proficiencies. And then the other thing I started to realize was I really liked the problem solving piece. And so that was what pushed me, pushed me towards UX and product design. And when you sort of look back on my cohort of students, um, you know, there's success can be measured in many ways, but sometimes I look back and go, wow, you know, in the context of product design, and that's measured by some sort of like salary and notoriety and, um, opportunity that I have and, and opportunity. I think of there's much more careers in digital product design than there is in graphic design at this point. Um, and it's a faster moving industry. Um, so then I look at that and I say, I've actually done pretty darn well for myself, maybe even more so than some of my peers, because I leaned into these things that weren't what everybody was supposed to have, but were the extras and that were sort of on the peripheral of what we were doing. And to be clear during this time in your life, did you ever have thoughts of like, man, how am I going to compete? How am I going to stand out? Or was it just something like, you know, I'm going to focus on the work and eventually you were like, Oh, oh I'm I was constantly out. feeling inferior. Like I, I beat myself up about it all the time. And it was like, you know, you'd see your friends get these amazing jobs, um, at these studios and, you know, I was having a hard time finding a job. And, you know, then I had a, an instructor who recommended me for something that kicked its kickstarted my career, but it was constantly feeling inadequate, constantly feeling like I was never going to get there. And thankfully I had one instructor, um, who's now a, basically another design leader and, and peer, um, who had said, you're going to be okay because you have so much, around just these core skills and that, and he was who sort of opened my eyes to that. So thank you, Arby, for doing that. Um, but it sort of set me up to understand that, you know, the, the, the opportunities are broad and there's a place for everyone. And so the actual act of sort of fighting for those same spaces and those, you know, trying to get the exact same profile in that case, the copying isn't, isn't really useful. Um, and I think that's actually a, a different piece to the two parts of the conversation. Like, you know, Hey, we're saying maybe don't be as expressive in your work or maybe, uh, it's not a don't, it's like, it's not as useful to be as, a, as expressive in your output. And so then we're saying maybe it's okay to just like do what everybody else is doing. But then as a person, maybe that's where you have to lean into more of the individuality. Okay. Dive into that a little bit more. Like when you say that, the very first thing that comes to mind for me is, um, I remember a long time ago, I was kind of reviewing some work with someone and they surprised me 
when they said, oh, yeah, of course, this is your work. Like, I recognized it immediately. And I paused for a minute and was like, what do you mean? Like, how how could you possibly <laughs> know this was my work out of all the other designers here at the company? And he was just like, I don't know. It's just got your, it's got your style and it's got your mark on it. And I was like, mm. in my mind, there was nothing to that. Like, I had never once in my career thought like, ooh, this is my style or this is the thing that I really like. I had just spent mm. all my time just doing the work. And I guess somehow naturally I had found a way to just like, uh, actually I do have an answer for this, uh, to, to just kind of create my own style, my own expression, my own identity in my work. And I, I didn't really acknowledge that for a very long time. In fact, today I, I still don't even think about it. Like I just make stuff and it either represents me or doesn't. And I think that the way that people see my work as my work, as Tanner's work, really comes across because of something called taste, right? And we all have taste. We develop it over our careers. Ira Glass has this famous talk on this. If you haven't heard it yet, Google him. Uh, look up Ira Glass taste on YouTube and you'll find it. And I think like this is this is something that develops over our careers from our personal identities. And we build up this taste and then suddenly our work becomes aligned with that taste and it becomes kind of our identity. Yeah, I think about... I think about like if I if I'm thinking of the difference between like an illustrator and a product designer, like I think your taste is composed of different things. Your style is composed of different things. Like when you go and you work at Lyft as you do or Facebook as we both did, like you don't bring a lot of personal style to that. What you do is you bring a lot of creative problem solving. And by that, I mean, you're not going to likely unless you're on the systems teams, you're not going to likely change um, what the buttons look like or the color palette or things like that because now, they have established design because they, systems. They, they have constraints. So most of product design is within certain constraints. Um, when I think of an illustrator, you know, I think of, you know, do they choose to use geometric shapes? Do they choose to use, um, you know, more organic shapes? Do they use line weights? Do they use gradients, soft corners, so, hard, rigid yeah, corners? And I, you know, that's, that's how I think of style. So I, I think, I think those aren't one-to-one definitions of style. Now, if I think of, if I think of perhaps my style within product design, I was always like sort of straight to the point, like let's solve the problem. I didn't spend as much time on the visual polish because I was more interested in the UX. Um, so I'd really lean into a lot of the interaction design. And so you could probably see the difference between mine and someone else's who more had a style that was focused around a different skill of visual design, there's people who would, you know, labor over, you know, Hey, could they work on the, these form fields and like push the spacing and, and maybe, you know, use different colors within the color palette and maybe try and push the system that way. Like that to me, it's like the style ends up being a different grouping of parts of the process rather than sort of those front end facing yeah, style. So things. to be clear, I'm not talking about the aesthetics at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, there it's a, that's, that is an output of what I'm describing, but more what I'm describing is akin to what you've kind of outlined here, where as you start developing your skills and your expertise and your career, you start being drawn towards certain problems and certain means for solving those problems. Oh, sure. So um, a great example I can give is, you know, some designers don't care about pixel perfect quality. They say, look, it's good enough. My engineers can interpret it. Maybe we have a design system they can use. There's no reason for me to align these things perfectly. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's other designers who are like, nope, this is a mock and I'm going to get it pixel perfect. Everything's going to be exactly as it needs to be because that's just who I am and the kind of work I do. Right. And then we can step back from that and say, okay, well, what is the kind of work? You know, some people really thrive in, uh, like you said earlier, systems problems. They'd like to see these like large platform 
problems where other designers are like, look, I just want in and out real quick, fun things. Uh, fun is like another thing that can set people apart. Right. And I, well, and I think, um, stepping away from like, what is style? I think when you look at, you know, how does that help you stand out for all of those examples? It's like, does the style values meet the, the needs of the company? And so for, you know, the alignment thing, like if you're like, okay, putting mocks out there that aren't perfect and that's what you're willing to put in your portfolio, then joining a place that has a design system. That's like, that doesn't matter. We're going to snap them all anyways. That's great. Same as if you get an illustrator who's like, Hey, your style kind of meets our style. Like, let's do this. You would never hire an illustrator and ask them. Well, I mean, you could hire an illustrator and ask them to change your style, but usually you want to, you know, look at somebody's portfolio and say, Hey, they kind of do the work we're, we're looking for. So, you know, let's, let's pull them in. If it's like line illustrations versus like flat blocks of color, you would pick the one that mostly matches what you're looking for. Right. But what I'm saying is this can be a way to set yourself apart from other people. Right. Where, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I'm not so, disagreeing. Okay. Yeah. So again, in the example of like a design system, uh, you know, many designers might say, well, we have the system. There's no reason for me to work, worry about this stuff. And ultimately maybe no one in the business cares. Like it doesn't need to be perfect, but then there's other designers in the team who might step up and say, well, I like my stuff is going to be absolutely perfect to the T. And like now there's a clear distinction between those two types of designers. Right. And mm-hmm. not one is better than the other. So that's, that's just like one more example. And I think, yeah, if- but I, I mean, in the, in the context of standing out, you know, if one is pixel perfect and one isn't one's or one's maybe sloppy because they know that it's going to be fixed later. And I'm using sloppy, not as a derogatory term, but just like, you know, the attention to detail isn't there at that point. So then, you know, how do you stand out? If, if somebody is looking to hire one of the two, does one stand out more than the other? I don't, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. I don't think it, well, it, it could matter. It depends. So is this relevant <laughs> to the standout conversation at all? <laughs> it is though, because again, like if you, if so if you work at a company right now and I can use it myself as an example here and I look across all of the peers I work with, I think we're lift design is now at like a hundred designers or something. I, I don't even know. Um, and I look at it, all of them. There are certain individuals that pop up on my radar when I just think about the design team for these kind of very small things. There's one designer who is really exceptional, again, at getting pixel perfect quality in everything they do. There's another designer who kind of stops at like wireframes and doesn't even go further because he knows we have a design system. Right, and And so if you ever wanted something of high polish, you would never go to that second person. Right, and yet if I wanted like quick conceptual work, I know I can go to that second person, right? And so I think that these are means for standing apart. Now, if you're looking for a job, it might be a little bit different because suddenly it's not just like this design team, this tight knit unit. Now it's like an entire potential world of designers and focusing on craft may not be enough to get you further. Right. However, I do think it matters. And I think these are the kind of things we develop over time. Yeah. I feel like this is just going back to some of the other conversations we've had before about fit and finding a job and skills. And it could be like finding a partner on a project within a company, or it could be, you know, taking a different role or it could be getting your first job. It does seem like, you know, who you are is built up, uh, is, is who you are is composed of the skills and experiences that you have to offer. And there is one way where you build extra skills and shift that profile to be a match for something and stand out in that way. Or there's another way in which you lean into what you currently have and hope to stand out in that way. And there's really no sort of like game. You can't really game that. 
I think when, when you do by doing flashy websites or someone asked if they should do a video portfolio once. And I was just like, no, like you think that might be creative and it might be personal, but it's, it's not a great way to use somebody's time. Um, similarly, like having your photo on the first page of your portfolio, like don't care, creates a lot of bias. Like let's get to the work, the, <laughs> the things that people need to evaluate against. This is so interesting. Um, you know, the quote, the, the famous quote, you are what you repeatedly do. So when we talk about like standing mm. apart and how you bridge your personal identity and your expression yes. and your work, it's like, it's going to come across. It just takes time. And, um, trying to force that is actually going right. to, people can detect when it's false. They can, especially in the world of product design, like we said, like we're looking for that intentionality. We're looking for that utility. We're looking to make sure that what you're doing makes sense and solves the problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking now that, um, repetition and depth of experience for all these things we're talking about, whether, you know, you said it was like, Hey, do you have somebody that works on chat or chatbots or something like that? Um, which is different than, you know, uh, standing out in that way would not be like, Oh, they've done one thing, but it's like, Hey, they've worked at a company for two years that's done this. Or we've talked about animations a lot. It's like, is it just one thing they've explored in a dribble sort of context? Or is it like deep expertise in, in, um, animation or is it, you know, Hey, this person's actually a really great speaker. They've written and delivered multiple talks on subject X or multiple subjects. So we know that they could come in and lead this team, um, and inspire them in the same way they do on, on a stage. Um, so I think there's, and that may be actually why, um, it's hard as a, as a, I mean, this is why it's hard as somebody getting their first job to get into that first role because they don't have depth of experience. They might have breadth experience. They might have breadth. They might have tried a bunch of different things, but it's hard to stand out when there's, when it's just surface level. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I think that brings us back to the latter part of our question. We've dabbled on it here and there during this episode, but when it comes to expressing your personal uniqueness, how do you do that effectively? Right. And so we talked a little bit about how that combines with the work Again, I think especially for the world of product design, like your work is really you. Um, what is the value of expressing yourself, your your personal identity separate from the work? Like how do you set, how does that help you get a job? Like, do you have any insights into that or? Like, should I say I do yoga on my website or yeah, something exactly. like that? Like, so again, uh, uh, one thing we said is if, if I'm a recruiter or a hiring manager and I'm going to your portfolio, the first thing I, I don't want to see is a big photo of you doing yoga. Like that's great, but I didn't it come. Doesn't here it doesn't matter. It does. Matter. I mean, it, it could matter. matter. I mean, we have, there's, there's companies I've worked at that, you know, somebody starts a yoga hour at work and that's really great for culture and helps people deal with stress and body pain from sitting. Um, I, I think the thing I'd say is like that stuff could be, complimentary and could build on what you have. Um, and there's other things like I do photography, like sometimes photography is relevant for the role you're going to be in. Does it require photography? Usually it's not. Illustration might be one that's like on the border where for product design, most product designers don't need to illustrate, but if that actually helps you make better icons and that's part of your responsibility, then that's like a huge asset. So for the things that aren't incorporated in your role, they could be additive. Um, but I would still say like, in order to stand out, the best way to stand out is with, with the actual qualifications or something above the qualifications that are related to the qualifications, like an extra special skill that's required, um, an extra special level of the skill that's required. And then maybe the extra stuff 
is nice and it helps, you know, show who you are as a person. But other than that, it, if, if the core stuff isn't there, it, it doesn't help you stand out in a positive way. Exactly. Like you have to have these core skills. You have to be good, if not great at them. Uh, and they should be first and foremost in your portfolio, in your resume. When you sit down to have a conversation with someone at a company that you're interested in, like you should not start those conversations by being like, man, I love yoga and photography and design. No, let's, let's talk about the work. And then, you know, once we've established that you are a good good person at this job, let's start diving into the more nuanced aspects of you. Okay. Well, what are you interested in? How do you spend your time outside of work? How do you find creative outlets? Things like that. This brings up another thing that is probably worth just, um, glossing over. Um, a lot of, especially when I was in education, I'd get a lot of applicants who had very little experience, but a lot of what I'd call passion. Um, I'm passionate about education. I'm really, I really want to, um, you know, their hearts from their heart of hearts, they'd want to invest in changing the world through education. And that was always a really hard one because, you know, you want people who want to dedicate their lives or, you know, give their 40 to 50 hours a week holistically to whatever cause you're working for or tool you're working um, with. And it was, but it was always, it was always for me a no, because I couldn't, even though they stood out with their passion it was not enough to give me confidence that they'd be able to do the job. And so the people who actually had the qualifications, even if they were less passionate about it, for me would always get the role. Now there's companies that that won't happen in. There's companies that will actually have the the bandwidth and the time to teach people the job, especially outside of design. But I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you love education, but you've never used sketch or Figma before, like that's, that's, it's just not going to work. Um, so I think one, one of the things that can be an additive thing is like, are you really invested in the area and you have a baseline of skills? But I think that's a, a hard thing for people to hear because when they have a, this aha moment in their lives that they know what their purpose is and they want to go after it and then they're getting blocked, um, because they maybe haven't fully realized what the best way to stand out is. And they've like, their energy and their commitment feels like enough to them. Those are good things, but they have to be complemented with the right skills to stand out. And I think the combination of both is an excellent way to stand out. Like I'd love if people came to me and said like, I'm so excited about business software and, you know, helping small businesses connect with their customers. Like this is what I want to do. And I'm a good product designer. I'd be like hired. Well said. All right. So we're just about out of time. Let's mm. wrap up by uh, kind of very quickly recapping with this prompt. If a new designer came to you and said, how do I stand out? What would you tell them? Get really solid in your design skills. You don't have to have them all. Pick a few to start with and layer those on over time. Once you've got those, that's when it's time to either go like really deep into, you know, an one or two of those skills or all of them, and then maybe layer on something special. Um, but for me, and, and I'm, again, I'm coming from a hiring manager perspective and I always think of like, who would I want to bring on my team or who would I want to put on a special project? It's like, how do you, how do you get to a place where you're really great at what you do and you won't need a lot of support? Um, and then over time you'll, you'll perform better and better with the things that you're asked to do. Exactly. I will just echo that. If, if someone asks me today, I'm just starting out in product design. How do I stand out? I will tell them, don't worry about it. 
worry about doing your job as best you can, learning and growing a lot and standing out, like building your own style, your own uh, identity will come naturally. Yeah. And I'd, I'd add, um, you know, for the, for the people piece of it, it's like, you know, how do you stand out? Well, there's a self-awareness piece there too, that we haven't really talked about that much, but you know, when we were talking about like lean into the things that you do well, I think there's always a, a good, you know, thinking about standing out, there's always a good opportunity to say, Hey, what am I good in? What are the things I do really well? And then make some conscious and intentional decisions on, Hey, you know, I've realized that maybe I'm not the best visual designer, but I'm great at interaction designer. I'm great at problem solving. Do you pair that with, you know, things you're other, you're also great at with like communication and collaboration and build a specific profile around that, that actually gives you a better starting point than just saying like, I have to do everything. I'm going to start with X, like do some critical observation and say, Hey, what are the best places for me to start? Because I've already sort of like made some progress here. All right. That's going to be it for this week. Cool. Cool. Until next week. Okay. Later. Bye.